A lot of you already know for sure who Pastor Don Allen is, right? But for those of you that don't know, um, when we first moved here to Plant Encounter Church, um, there were only literally like, a no, I won't even say a handful, like two, three maybe, pastors in the whole Atlanta region that reached out to us and made us feel welcome. And Pastor Don Allen was one of the very first ones who did. And, and, and many of you have been to War Hill before, the church at War Hill, and most of you have been blessed by the radio ministry of Victory 91.5. Anybody been blessed by 91.5? Yes? Well, he's the, I don't know if I'm going to say it right, the executive director. Um, a lot of your blessing has come because of his uh, sowing into that ministry, and God's just moving at War Hill. He's moving at the North Georgia Revival. How many of you have been blessed by the North Georgia Revival lately? Yeah? Many of you have been over there and heard him, and it's really funny because this past week we had a pastor's meeting to do with the revival and what's coming up over the next, you know, few months of spring and summer, and for four years I've wanted to invite Pastor Don to encounter church, but honestly, I've just never dared to like, he's not going to, he's going to get on to me for saying this, but I've never dared to even try to like interrupt his schedule because he has a lot on his plate, and God's really using him and his ministry but this past week, we had this meeting, and make a long story short, this conversation was happening about he didn't necessarily have to be at his church this Sunday to preach. He could be, but he didn't have to be. And I literally said, well, if you can't stand not preaching, please come to Encounter Church. And we just kind of chuckled. And the next day, he called me. He said, I'll be there. So I want Encounter Church. Come on, a warm welcome for Pastor Don Allen. Thank you. Right, please, thank you. Well, praise God. Thank you for coming out to watch the tornado with me. I'm excited about that. How many of you have come to the revival? Can I see your hand? Wow, the majority of you. That's awesome. Well, we thought since you've been driving to Dawsonville, it'd be nice for Dawsonville to drive to you today. And so what a blessing to get to be here with you. And so excited. Um, you know, from the moment we hit that landing out there, there has been something. Now, to feel the Holy Spirit in this place is, is something to treasure. Can I get an amen for that? Amen. To, to feel what invites the Holy Spirit is so significant. Worship is key to that, the word, the atmosphere. But what I felt was a spirit of excellence the moment I stepped up on this floor. And I believe that from the greeters into even I got to be a part of the pre-meeting to uh, this worship. Oh, my gosh. I travel the world. I preach eight to ten times every single week. And by the way, you're in trouble because I only preached twice this week. So I got a lot to get out. All right. <laughs> but... This worship is some of the best that I have heard in a very long time. Let's celebrate your worship team today. Uh, and then Hunter and Liz, what a blessing uh, in my life. Um, you know, we have uh, some common roots in that we share uh, my spiritual uh, overseer, our pastor, uh, the connections there through Bethany Church and Pastor Larry Stockstill and the Surge. And uh, uh, just it connected us. But the moment that I, I met them, I felt a kindred spirit. 
And, and what's happening is I'm preaching from Israel right now, probably. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm still preaching from Israel right now as far as my church is concerned because I went over and, and I had the honor to preach a message on the resurrection from the empty tomb. And so that's happening right now. So we were just talking about that and immediately uh, from different places around the country, like, if you're not preaching, I want you to come. And I was like, let me pray about it. Let me pray about it. And the moment that, that Hunter said, um, would you come? I was like, I want to go. But I, all night long, I was like, was he just being nice? <laughs> and so I could just imagine him getting out to the car and Liz saying, you messed up Palm Sunday. <laughs> and so I hope afterwards she doesn't say, you messed up Palm Sunday. <laughs> but uh, I'm going to try to behave today. You know worship's good when I pull out the air drums. <laughs> I don't know. Did you see that, guys? I was pulling out the air drums over there. I was like, "Woo!" <laughs> okay. <laughs> and so, how many of you are Spanish speakers in here, by the way? All right. I'm not going to preach in Spanish today. One time, uh, I had promised I was doing a bilingual service, and the interpreter didn't show up. And, and so, I preached the whole sermon in Spanish, and it was easy. Because my message was, open the door. And that's not that hard to say. <laughs> and afterwards, people came up to me one after another, our Spanish-speaking congregation. Oh, Pastor, we're so proud of you. Excellent job, Pastor. Oh, thank you, Pastor. And I was like, ah, oh, except for one man. His name was Jesus Silva. And Jesus walked up to me and he said, Pastor, nunca más. <laughs> I said, por qué? He said, he said, you sound like a third grader pastor. <laughs> so I'm not going to preach in Spanish today. But when I go into my deepest worship and my deepest prayer time, it's always in Spanish. And I believe that's part of the language of heaven. And uh, so excited about what God is going to do. Why don't we just prepare our hearts for the word? The word works. Do you know that? Let me just say this before we pray, I, I, and I don't have it. Okay, there's a clock, right? I'm, I was like, y'all are in trouble. There's no clock. Uh, and so, uh, I was over here yesterday, literally a mile from here, I think. Uh, there was a funeral, and, and so we're leaving the funeral. And, and my uh, wife and I were privileged to, to get a, a new son four, uh, in about four and a half years ago. And when he came to us, he believed that Jesus and Santa Claus were brothers. And every night he prayed to both of them. Okay? And I was like, this is not working. <laughs> so we've been watching him grow. I remember the first time I, the music pastor had left a, a microphone in the back of my truck. And he grabbed it and started screaming into the microphone, the cross, the cross, Jesus, the cross. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm preaching the gospel, you know. <laughs> and, and, and I said, why are you screaming? He said, because you do. <laughs> And so I hadn't thought that much more about it until yesterday. I'm, I'm just literally right here on the road, and as I'm, I, I answered a call, and, and I'm talking to a pastor, and I spoke the word. And it was a word that became rhema in my life this week. And the moment I spoke the word, I hear from the back seat my, my little son say, Woo! <laughs> and I, I get off the call, and I was like, What was that about? He said, Well, when you feel God, you go, Woo! <laughs> and so... I don't know if we're going to have any, could you help me this morning? But I'm going to bring you what I feel like God sent me to bring you. 
Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you that we are in a house of solid word and good teaching. There's an atmosphere of worship here. And Lord, there's an atmosphere of healing here. I thank you, Lord, that healing is coming in the name of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. Genesis chapter 22, we're going to start there just briefly if you have your Bibles. I appreciate those that are here. I have some of my dear friends, part of our War Hill team. Uh, Pastor Jimmy and Marsha are here. And would you make them welcome? Jordan's here with me as well. And what a blessing. Uh, Genesis chapter 22, verse number 6, reads like this and through 8. It says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, and he placed it on his son Isaac. I want you to notice that he took the wood and placed it on his son. And he himself, so the son carried the wood, but the father carried the fire and the knife. Notice that. The son carries the wood, but the father carries the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. Notice this. Now the father has the fire and the knife. But the son says, I see the fire and I see the wood. Because most of us don't want to talk about the knife. Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered and said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them, watch this, and the two of them, how many of you know it's going to take all of God? Come on now. And the two of them went on together. Now, just uh, two weeks ago, I had the privilege, uh, I ministered uh, in three continents in three days. I did not know where I was and could not feel my fingers, okay? I was exhausted. I was in uh, uh, Medellin, Colombia, hopped back, preached Dawsonville, Georgia, hopped on an airplane about two hours later, and was in Israel. While I was in Israel, the service time was moved, and as it was moved, I, I had a little extra time, and the camera crew that was there with me had never been to Israel, so I said, let me, let me just show you. And so we, we ended up in Galilee, and we went all around, but I said, let, let me take you underneath the Temple Mount. How many of you have ever been underneath the Temple Mount? Anybody? Very few of you. I said, let me take you under the Temple Mount. Now, the average crowd goes about 50 feet down. You can go about 80 feet down to a mikvah there the, that's one of the oldest, very, very, very probable that, that Jesus went through the waters of that mikvah, baptismal as we would call it, to prepare to arise and to go up the steps of the temple. But I took them down the long corridor there and all the way back to where you can touch Mount Moriah. And I told them, I want you to put your hands on Moriah. Touch it. Feel this mountain. It's significant that you connect with Moriah. 
It is important for us that we understand what God was doing when he sends Abraham to Moriah. He is being prophetic. He is, uh, he is showing Abraham, I want you to get an image that people will need someday to understand what I'm going to do on Mount Moriah. Because you see, he sent his uh, son to Moriah to carry some wood up a hill. And, and as God began to speak to me through this passage, I, got, I, I really got fired up, if you could, uh, and I'm trying with all this within me to behave. If you've ever heard me preach, I normally don't. But I, I, I want you to get what the Lord showed me. As I was reading this passage, I can tell you out of all the times that I have ever preached this passage, I have never seen as clearly what God was showing me here because I said as the sun carries the wood and then I realized that this was another type and shadow which means a figurative image of Christ that when the father put the wood on the shoulders of his son, he was becoming a prophetic symbol of another son that would carry some wood up a hill called Moriah that he was becoming a prophetic image of that and we can see the beauty of that it's very easy to connect those two but yet God said look beyond that because as the son carried the wood the father came behind carrying the fire and the knife the father came behind carrying something very significant. And so I want to look just briefly at these three uh, uh, symbols of the propheticness of what would happen when Christ died for us on the cross. And then I, I'm going to try to get to some sermon that I have here, but I'm just preaching right now. And so what we have here are three beautiful symbols of what God can do. We have three beautiful symbols uh, 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 that I had never even seen the symbolism that was in the symbolism of why Jesus carried the wood on his shoulders up the hill called Moriah. It interestingly goes back to a point in scripture that we don't normally tie into Holy Week. So that's one of the things I like about, about the Spanish culture. We don't call it Easter. We call it the day of the resurrection. We, we call it this, this Holy Week that, that we're on as we're remembering the work of the cross. And, and one of the most beautiful images that we don't normally tie into this moment is when Jacob flees for his life after deceiving Esau. And he comes to Bethel, the house of God. And there in Bethel, he lays down and as he goes to sleep, all of a sudden, he gets an image of something that ascends into heaven. Anybody remember what that is? A ladder. We call it Jacob's ladder. And on the ladder ascending as heaven is open and, 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 and coming down to earth were what? Angels ascending and descending on that ladder. In other words, God was giving him an image of what was happening in heaven coming down and being manifest on earth. Now, I have never connected those two to this image of the man carrying the cross up Moriah. I have never seen this image of Christ carrying the cross of Moriah, from Isaac carrying the wood, the, his own cross, as it were, to Jesus carrying the cross. I've never connected that to the house of God, Bethel, until I realized something, that when Nathaniel is called, the first disciple is called. Why is this important? Just stay with me just a moment. Humor me and act like you're getting something out of this. Why is this important? 
Because when Nathaniel is called, he, he, he comes and, 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 and he realizes that Jesus tells him, I saw you where you were. I saw what you were doing. And he goes, oh my goodness, you are the son of God. And he said, if you think just because I knew where you came from, that that was a good enough answer. He said that before I'm through with you, you will see heaven open and angels descending and ascending. So what we have is another image of the cross. You see, everything always points to the cross. I said one time that maybe we shouldn't wear crosses, then maybe we ought to wear empty tombs. But, but you see, our boast has to become in the cross because the, everything was pointing to the cross because what Jesus said is, I'm going to carry some wood up a hill and I'm going to plant that wood on that hill and it's going to become a connection point that connects heaven to earth. And the way you're going to get God to come down into the earth that you are is to bring stuff to the wood of the cross and when you get ready to put your life on the cross then God's going to show up and God's going to manifest in your life can I get an amen for that and so I thought okay God I see what you're saying there that's the wood but what is the fire well that's obvious in scripture we're talking about fire water a lot right now there's nothing but normal water, but it's the encountering of the power of the Holy Spirit. Whenever in Scripture you see the moving of the Holy Spirit, and we, we, uh, it seemed for a generation in the 80s and the 90s that, that the church became afraid of the move of the Holy Spirit. People didn't jump up to the floor moved, come on now, and worship in church because we didn't want people to think that we somehow were strange and we backed away from a move of the Holy Spirit. But I think we've come into an era and to a generation who's played enough games with God and what they really want is a fire and a move of God that will shake this nation and will shake this world. But the power of the Holy Spirit wants to come to work in our lives, but the Holy Spirit cannot work in our lives unless this, watch this, unless we become, what did Paul say? I would that you present your bodies as what? Living sacrifices. Now what did Isaac have to do when he got to where he placed the wood? He had to crawl up on the wood. His father wasn't old, I mean was too old to put him on the wood. So he crawled up on the wood and he became a living sacrifice. Can I tell you that the work of the Holy Spirit wants to make you a living sacrifice so that every day instead of doing what you used to do, you crawl up on your cross and the power of the Holy Spirit begins to change who you are and you don't carry what you used to carry anymore. Now you've heard me say this if you've heard me preach ever many times before, but you see, I'm supposed to be fifth, sixth, seventh generation drunken Native American. I am not supposed to preach the gospel, but because my parents wandered into a church and somebody told them about a work of on a cross and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, now I don't understand what it means to be drunk with wine, but I can tell you what it means to be filled with the fire of the Holy Spirit that will burn off every dross from your life. But we miss something still in the elements of Palm Sunday. We have the wood. We have the Holy Spirit here. But what was the other element? The knife. Now, how many of you have ever had a knife jump up and bite you? Now, look. I mean, you might drop one. But if that knife is laying here, that knife's not going to do anything unless it's in the hands of man. Are you with me? And so why do we need the knife when it comes to the cross? Because the knife is what helps me overcome the hurt that has happened to me at the hands of others. 
Now think about that for a moment. Can I obey the Holy Spirit? Now look, I do not want to mess with anyone's politics at all. You keep your politics to yourself. All I'm going to do is give you a testimony about the power of Jesus. This has shaken me since last evening. Now I've got to tell you uh, what you don't know about Warhill and Dawsonville a little bit, but I'll tell you a little bit so you'll understand. I think this is the perfect congregation for this. When God sent me to Dawsonville, I screamed at God. I said, God, I told you I would go anywhere you wanted me to go. I said, Lord, I'll preach in Africa. I have preached in Africa. I said, God, I'll move here. I'll move there. I said, God, I don't want to, but I'll even go to New York City. Come on now. Except I said it like that old El Paso commercial. New York City. Come on. But I said, God, the one place I didn't want to go was Dawsonville, Georgia. Dawsonville, Georgia was one of the most segregated, racist communities. As a matter of fact, my church is literally planted on the Forsyth County, Dawson County line. And if you're old enough to remember the race uh, uh, battles that happened in Forsyth County because they had a joke there where every Christmas is white. I said, you're not sending me there. I remember when my first friend came to me that was, he's from Zaire, he's the son of the Mutu tribe, in, he's the son of the king. He met me shaken because he'd gotten out of his car to ask directions and they said, if you stay here overnight, we will kill you. I messed up, I should have said, but my God is bigger, but I said my gun is bigger, but anyways... Tears, tears ran down my face as I watched my baby, who was being raised in this racist community, stroke his beautiful black face. He's one of my dearest friends on the planet. So I'm telling you all of this to tell you, I remember the first Hispanic family that moved in the community. They surrounded their house in the middle of the night and ran them out in the night. I said, God, I don't want to go here. I have a vision for something that is more than that. So we began immediately, once God said, you will go there, to invite and change that region, change that culture. First church to have an African-American on staff. The first church to have a female African-American on staff. I mean, just one right after another. We began to break those. Five years ago, they were still planting Confederate flags in my yard. When I say this, I want you to understand the beauty of what God has created in our culture there at War Hill. But there's a young man, his name is Chris. He's a young African-American man, and the first time he comes, just, just, I mean, he makes me sick because he has hair. <laughs> I don't. He, his, his body, it's, it's what I would, it's what I, I'm going to look like in heaven. <laughs> And the first time Chris ever came through our door, he would not look at me. I don't know. I'm just obeying God. Is that okay? He would not look at me. And I thought, what has happened to this boy? And Chris, I, I, that's another problem. He looks 10 years younger than he is. And I was like, Chris, what's going on? He found Jesus. He came to our Bible college. He started growing. 
started becoming a leader in our church. And one day he just started opening up to me. And I want you to know, I thought I knew everything about Chris. I thought I knew where that pain had come from until last night. And last night, Chris shared his story that I didn't know. I don't, I don't want, this is where I'm talking about the political side of this. I, I don't, this is, I'm not condoning this. I'm just saying there was a news article last evening released about a man that's about to be put to death. And, 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 and you know, he's been sentenced to death. And I, I, I didn't even know that much about it. And, and Chris said, that's the man who brutally murdered my mother. And I thought, I didn't know that. Chris said, that's the man who ravaged and murdered my mother. He said, but he said, six weeks ago, I went and saw him. And I told him, you're forgiven, you're loved, and you can't hold me back anymore. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ has done in my life. Now I say that to say that doesn't happen unless you learn to crawl on the cross. Is this okay? But you see, the cross is always, watch this, a change agent. You can't embrace the cross and stay the same. It's always a change agent. Super important. Now, I'm going to offend someone not mean to here, but if it offends you, please understand that's not my intention. But I'm not talking about your jewelry, but I'm talking about your attitude and what I'm about to say. A cross around our neck is an ornament, but a cross upon our back is an agent of change. And we've been wearing them too pretty. There is nothing pretty about a cross. This week I'm going to preach a message on Friday evening called the, the worm on the cross. Jesus said, they see me as a worm. The, the psalmist spoke of him. There's only one other time other than that psalms that the word is used there. It's tahil. And, and that word is the word for a certain kind of worm that crawls upon a rough piece of wood and dies. And then let, before it dies, it lays its eggs underneath itself and then dies over that. And then it gives, watch this. Watch this, its body and its blood to nourish the offspring. Nothing pretty about a cross at all. So what we have here is an agent of change that can help you overcome every bondage. If that young man can look at the man who brutally ravaged his mother before brutally taking her life, you can find within your heart the ability to get up from whatever the knife in the hands of others has done to you. I, I don't know why, I, I don't even know where I am in this sermon, but I'm just obeying God. People tell me I've got hurt in church. I, are we live? Are we broadcasting live? I'm just going to say it anyways. I know what it's like to be hurt in church. I was a pastor's child. 
I've had people who didn't know how to say to my father, pick me up and throw me in corners and abuse me in corners and, and, and physically and, and, and trying to get a message to my dad, but yet I preach this gospel not because of, uh, uh, in spite of them, but I preach this gospel because I didn't look to them, nor did I look to my dad. I looked beyond that and I put some things on a cross. My friend who was pastoring in Winder, Georgia right now, it was worse for him. Someone in that church took him to the closet and raped him for eight years. But yet he's preaching the gospel today. You don't do that without the help of Jesus. You see, the cross changes who you are. Some of you can't get on with your marriage because you're too wounded from someone else's knife and how they've destroyed your... Am I making sense to anybody how they've destroyed your life? And I've come this way not even planned today and not even knowing where I am in a sermon simply to tell you that if you'll step into the power of the cross... You see, most of us are ready to step into the power of the, of the empty tomb, but you will never walk in resurrection power until you've been the way of the cross and you put all of that hurt and all of that pain and you crawl up on there as a living sacrifice and let God heal your soul I'm just this is not my look if if you've been in one of my homiletics classes in one of the Bible colleges around here do not grade me on this sermon I I got a call four years ago now one of my best friends has just been killed by an intoxicated driver. His wife was in critical condition. My daughter was dating his son. Very close. One of the only confidants I felt like I had. Taken out of this world. All because somebody got high. I watched the agony and the pain that not only that family, but our community went through at the loss of this man. Four miles traffic backed up to celebrate the life of a good man who was taken quick. One of our leaders in our church. I walked into the courtroom on the day that they are going to sentence the man who killed him. I've watched as it's now time for the family to speak before the sentencing. I called this water walking in my mind that day. And I watched as, and I don't know who's got the hurt here, but I wish we could get it dealt with because I can't get on with my sermon until you get it. I watched as his son, who now I treat very much like my son, walked to that podium and he said, what you have taken from me, no one can ever give me back. He said, but because of what my father taught me and because of what Jesus has done in me, you are forgiven. I watched as that room was shaken and then it was time for the widow the mother of that boy that had just spoken, the widow of the man killed, she walked over, and this was her words that shook me to the core. She 
held on for dear life as she looked at the judge and she said, Judge, I think my son has spoken with eloquence how we feel that we forgive this boy. And these words shook me. She said, Judge, would you look at my two sons that are now left without a father? She, she said, I want the judgment you put on this man to be the judgment you would put on them. Judge him no differently. Because of what Jesus has done, we will not be bound by hate and we will not be ruled by hurt. Did she have many nights that she laid and cried? She still has those nights. But yet, in the middle of that, I watched as the, the judge had to call a recess to weep. The opposing counsel had no clue what to do. They said, I, I don't even know how to respond to this. The family of the man said, if we knew who you were, we wouldn't have even hired a lawyer. Why? Because somebody found grace at a cross. And when you get rid of all of that you carry, there's only one place that's rough. Do you know what happened in Scripture that when you were washed away from the, the uh, certain sins, they would go out and they would get a rough piece of hyssop and that would become part of the cleaning process you see it took what they made the cross out of a rough piece of wood to show that you were now clean and what's happened is our our bitterness at a dad who walked out our pain at somebody who abused us our, our, our the words that have settled in our heart because somebody has has spoken some kind of negative thing against us have held us back far too long but Jesus said these words you will see heaven manifesting in earth and because I'm going to make a bridge and if you'll come to the bridge you can lay down the hurt and lay down the pain and I'll send healing down out of heaven for you and you will be delivered by the blood of Jesus Jesus. Well, that sermon didn't happen. Your slide person's back there going, I don't know where he is. Good job. I'm going to go toward one of the last slides now. And I'm going to give you one last point and then I'm going to close. As I thought about the cross this week, and the Lord spoke this section to me a couple weeks ago. I think I was sitting in Jerusalem. These were the words that I heard from the Lord. Jesus was marked by the cross, but not changed by the cross. I want you to listen to that very carefully. Jesus was marked by the cross, but not changed by the cross. What do I mean by, by that? Well, it's pretty simple. Before the cross, he acted one way. On the cross, he acted the same way. On the other side of the cross, he's still the same. Oh, maybe I need to give you scripture for that. Before the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. 
On the cross, he prayed. First words he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. On the other side of the cross, he is now ascended into high places where he is seated as the only mediator between God and man. In other words, he's interceding for us, still praying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. You see, the cross can only change what's within the curse of death. But Jesus had no curse because he walked holy. Am I making sense? I want you to stand with me. Stand with me. If you don't, I'll preach all day. Now watch this. He was the same here, here, here. Here's what God showed me. When you're marked by it, that's the change that happens in you now. Because you have to go to it to get all of that hurt dealt with. You have to go to it to get all of that sin out of your life. You have to go to it to let God change who you are. I don't know who you are, but you need to get ready. If you brought in a, a truckload of hurt today, you do not have to leave with it. But here's what the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And somebody come play something here if you would softly. This is what the Holy Spirit spoke to me so clearly. That Jesus was marked but not changed. But we will have to go the way of the cross until we can go there and be the same before, on there, and after. Why do I keep having to deal with this? Because it's got to get out of your life. You never know what people are going through. You know, I, I thought I'd hurt somebody's feelings. I couldn't figure out why they'd cause me pain. And, 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 and one day, two years, three years later, somebody said, well, Pastor, you didn't hurt that person's feelings. They said, I can tell you what happened in that person's life. And, 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 and they told me what happened in their life, and it was something that person had done wrong. And I'd, I'd taken it so personal, and I'd carried this weight of how did I let somebody down? And, and why am I telling you that story right now? I'm telling that story because somebody got hurt, and it wasn't your fault. You didn't do anything wrong. You didn't ask for it. You didn't look for it. But you've carried it long enough. It's that simple. Oh, do, I, do I need to say that? Some of you can't move on in the relationship you're in, the marriage you're in, because you're still carrying so much hurt from the relationships you've had. But there's only one place to leave it. Does this make sense today? If a boy can stand and say, Judge, forgive the man who murdered my father. If a woman can say, Judge this man the way you judge my own sons. If a good man who now no longer looks down, now he looks up, can say, You will hold me no longer. You are forgiven. And I want you to know that Jesus loves you. You too can find grace. Bow your heads in this place. I may never get invited back to this place. But I have obeyed the Holy Spirit today.
I have come to tell you, I don't care what they did to you, there is healing in Jesus' name. I don't care how they wronged you, if you'll bring it to the cross, there's healing in Jesus' name.